The Ectoplasm Show is brought to you by North KC's Big Rip Brewing Company. Lighten up dark matter, have a craft beer. What's up, everybody? It's Jason of the Ectoplasm Show, and this week we are going to do a throwback episode because Josh got snowed in on the night we were supposed to record and couldn't make it to the manor, which I think he could have gotten out in it if he really wanted to for you guys, but he's scared of the snow, which is fine. But this episode is a episode that we put out in April of 2016 it's actually premium content up until this point where you had to pay a dollar to download it but i figured to give a little christmas gift and most people haven't heard this episode it's all about the sally house we have people on that we interview about their experiences at the sally house we go into the history of the sally house and it's supposedly one of the most haunted houses in america it definitely has that reputation most TV shows out there have been there, and I hope you enjoy this episode. But before we get to that, please go check out our sponsor, El Yucateco. Go to Instagram, follow them, and like and comment on their posts, tagging us in it, and you'll be entered into our giveaways. Also, while you're online, go follow Podbelly. Go to podbelly.com, our network, go say what's up, and um, go say hey to Brent at the Sofa King Podcast. Go tell him the word jelly beans, and that's a little inside joke between him and I from one drunk night. Not that kind of drunk night, guys. Um, Anyways, enjoy this episode. We hope to get some more content out next week. And I will actually be up visiting Josh at the end of next week. So hopefully we get some live shows recorded then as well. So go into our Patreon. Go to patreon.com backslash or forward slash. I'm not sure which. But anyways, the Ectoplasm Show on Patreon for a dollar a month. $12 a year. You can support us. And get exclusive content like the episode we put out last week, which was all about Josh's experience in building a brush with evil, writing the book, and the actual experience that you know he went through before that. Uh, it's forty-five minute extra episode that you only get if you are a meat mate of the Ectoplasm Show. For all those links to everything, go to ectoplasmshow.com, and talk to you guys soon. Welcome to the first episode of our premium content for the Ectoplasm Show. My name is Josh Hurd, and joining me 
as always, my partner in crime, Mr. Jason Koopsik. What's up, sir? Um, just counting things. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> so, for those of Lots you that of don't, for those of you that don't know, like Jason and I, we do the show over Skype uh, because we live, you know, like three hours apart. But, um, so our profile pictures or whatever, Jason has a lot of fun with his. <laughs> right now, I have uh, from Sesame Street the Count um, staring staring me in the face. Is he looking into your soul? He kind of is. <laughs> he's doing something weird with his finger. I don't know. I don't get it. But yeah, I think he's just saying one. Uh, probing. Uh, <laughs> probing. But anyway, so if you guys found this, if you found this content, thank you so much. Uh, for taking the time, uh, spending the money, um, and giving this a chance. So this is the first. This is the first episode of premium content of many to come. I know that. Um, and yeah, this is a, a different format, kind of, uh, than the regular ectoplasm show. Um, hope you guys enjoy this. Um, this episode is one hundred percent devoted to. The Sally House, so it should be interesting. Hopefully, you uh, hopefully you enjoy it, and we'll talk to you towards the end of the episode. Doctor lived there late one night. Girl came in, and uh, eight year old girl had to uh, you know her appendix burst and had to do a surgery, and he started cutting on her before she was knocked out. She died. Now she's a Sally the Manhattan ghost. Well, the first one that I ever saw was on a haunting. And that was way back when, in probably 1993. They came out and they said, oh, that a doctor lived in this house and that he had had uh, a housekeeper, nurse, that helped him out. And that they had 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 a love child together. And this child was a mulatto child. And she was, you know, seven or eight years old. And she died from pneumonia in the upstairs nursery and that her name was Sally. So the first thing that's only, the only thing that's common here, everybody will hear is Sally, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. The next urban legend is one that was a made-for-TV movie by sightings. It's called uh, The Heartland Ghost. And it was about a doctor that lived in the house with his wife, and that the wife had an affair with a slave. And so when the baby was born, it was obviously not his, and he threw the baby out in the snow and let it die. Okay. The third urban legend is the, the most popular, and it is one that a doctor lived in the house, and some woman came and knocked on the door in the middle of the night with her child that was you know, writhing in pain, and he had to do an emergency appendectomy, and apparently he was either drunk or inept, and tried to put her out with some some uh, anesthesia I'm assuming it was chloroform and or ether and it he dropped it and it broke on the ground and he didn't have enough and so when she woke up writhing in pain she lashed out at him and because she is already cut open she died instantly lashing out at a man and that she hates men and that's those are the three the three known urban legends of the house. From what I understand, 
it was a normal house from like 1867 all the way up until the Pickmans moved in. Um, they had, I, th- I think it was four natural deaths inside the house. Um, and don't quote me on that because I could be wrong. But uh, four natural deaths. There were a couple of funerals that happened inside the place. But um, other than that, there wasn't, I mean, it was just a normal house that the guy lived in. Uh, uh, Dr. Finney, he was an odd character. He liked to cross-dress and roller skate or ice skate, one of those two. But other than that, he was just a normal doctor that lived inside the house, built that whole place by himself, and they kind of lived there as a family. So I don't know what brought on the haunting, but we can discuss that a little bit later. Hi, everyone. My name is Denise Pridemore. I am uh, a tour guide, uh, paranormal researcher and investigator for the Atchison Chamber of Commerce, as well as Pridemore Paranormal. You can, if you need to find us anywhere, you can find us on Facebook under Pridemore Paranormal, or you can go to visitatchison.com to find out more about the Sally House, how to book it. And uh, let's see, you can also find me on um, the Paranormal Pride on my, my radio show. And I answer all my emails and texts, so please go ahead and contact me through Facebook. So now tell us, uh, tell us a little bit of the um, the folklore of of the Sally. Uh, what I have to say about those is, we have done tons of research, along with as well as the Pickmans have done tons of research as well to get the history of what really did happen in the house. We don't have proof of of a doctor. We have a proof that a doctor lived in the house. That's the one thing we do have. Dr. Finney did live in the house, um, but it doesn't. nothing matches up. So when I tell you the history, I hope you use your logic and take what you can from all these urban legends and the truth. Because with every urban legend, there is an ounce of truth. That's the one thing we all need to remember. So... The house itself was built between 1867 and 1871 by M.C. Finney. M.C. Finney was a, he was the wharf master in town. So everybody who came to town knew him. He was an upstanding member of society there. And he also owned either a mercantile or a outfitters for all the people going west. This is where people would stop and get all their stuff, their horses, their sure, bacon, whatever, whatever they needed to go west. So he was really, you know, important in town. So he built this house. And when you look at it, you'll see, well, it's not a huge house. If he was prominent, why isn't the house bigger? Especially when you look at other houses in the neighborhood. But apparently it was perfect. About 1872, after only living in the house about a year, he died. Okay. And he was one of the longest, oldest members of Atchison. He was 51. Okay. That's not very old. And so he died. And not long after that, his wife, her parents lived in the house with her and her husband. And so, okay, again, the size of the house is going to be going, really? Charles James (coughs) Catherine's, he died in 1874. That is Kate Finney's father. The next person to die in the house is Richard Edwin Finney. 
He died just a couple months after Charles, and he was the infant son of M.C. and Kate. M.C. never saw this son because he died before he was born. She was like five months pregnant when he died. The next death in the house is William True. He was married to Agnes Finney True. They were only married about uh, five years when he got sick and then about eight years when he died. But he died in the house. And then in 1939, Agnes Finney died in the house. Okay, why are these deaths important? Well, when you talk about hauntings, you talk about, you know, what deaths happened. Well, these are the deaths. Of these deaths, only four funerals were held in the house. And the funerals that were held in the house were M.C. Finney's, Charles James Catherine's, Richard Edwin Finney, and the last one was um, uh, James Finney. And he actually lived next door in the house to the south, which is uh, 504 2nd Street. And uh, so got five deaths, four funerals, not all the same. Kind of interesting there. The person who lived in the house the longest was Agnes Finney. So keep that in mind throughout all this. So in 1900, Kate Finney bought the lot next door. Uh, 510 and she decided to put a house there so it's you got three houses owned by the Finney family in a row and she built this house and it's rather rather stately a lot bigger than um, 508 and more fitting for a doctor and she actually said it's quoted that she said I built this house for my favorite son well by the time she built it you know it was her, he was her only son so they moved out in 1905 to the house next door at 510. He became a doctor in 1894. So he lived in the house from 18 in the Sally house from 1894 to 1905. This is important because they state that this botched appendectomy happened in 1906. Okay. So he didn't live in the house at the time. He did have an office down at Fifth and Commercial in downtown Atchison, but he, like I said, lived next door. I'm going to tell you, I'm gonna, here's where I want you to use some logic. The, if someone had come to your house, knocked on your door in the middle of the night with your sick kid in a house that housed Dr. Finney, his wife, his sister, sister's husband, and the mother of the kid. You got five people that are going to sit there and go, huh, he just killed that kid. You're not going to keep a secret, right? Keep that, you know, that's really important. Five people, you kill my kid, I'm screaming from the top of, you know, the BP Wagner's gargoyle house, screaming, hey, he killed my kid. There's no way that this guy would have been elected mayor in 1913. So... That's an interesting fact. There's, he was mayor for three years, and he was kicked out of being mayor for supplying alcohol to the Eagles Club. Not the smartest guy, but not a bad guy. So the next, I always like to tell people some other fun facts, but those are the facts about the Finney family. And one fact about the Finney family that's kind of interesting is Dr. Finney, before he was a doctor, used to ice skate. 
he loved ice skating. And it was his favorite pastime. And he used to ice skate under the name of Ms. Colby from Baltimore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and he was actually, he was told he could not skate anymore for money because he kept winning all the contests. <laughs> so there is actually a newspaper article saying that all these people can skate, but he can't. Okay. So another fun fact about the Sally House that people like to hear about is that it has the same street address as the Velisca Axmurger House. I wanted to ask you about so, that too, because that is interesting stuff. Yeah. So after after Agnes Finney died in 1939, Doctor Finney and his his wife moved back over to 508 and lived there until he died, and he actually died in Leavenworth at a hospital there. So Doctor Finney didn't die in the house. No one else died in the house after after Agnes died. Um, there were multiple residents that lived there. Um, the ones that lived there the longest after the Finneys, there was a lot of different people that lived there. Uh, but the one that lived there the longest was um, Ethel Anderson. And there's a fun fact about her. Ethel Anderson, her husband was, was a Dr. Anderson. And Dr. Anderson and Dr. Finney got into a, a, a scuffle a long time before this, and of course, because he's dead already, but it was actually before Dr. Finney was a doctor, and it was written up in the paper that it was over like 15 cents. <laughs> and it was about, uh, he talks about it being his honor what, what had been smudged by, uh, by, this, this other, by Dr. Anderson. So there's a lot of people that, that look at that and just laugh because it's kind of weird here, here somebody's talking about their, their honor being besmudged and they got into a uh, went to fisticuffs in Atchison. So that was interesting. But Ethel lived in the house from 1958 to 1990. So she, she never said anything about paranormal activity. She died in 2000, and people were, kept asking her, did you ever have any paranormal activity? And she, to her deathbed, she said none. Um, between 1990 and 1992, this one family lived there, and they said that their daughter had an imaginary friend, and her name was Sally. Um, and the girls later told everyone that the Pick Tony Pickman's picture matched Sally, the, her imaginary friend. So the only true facts that we have after all this is the Pickman's account from their book, which is, is a very good book, and I recommend it to everyone, and it's called uh, Sally House, A True Haunting. And it's, like I said, it's really good. It gives you a lot of information about the things that happen. And the name Sally actually comes from the first psychic that went in the house. Her name was Barbara Connor. And she was there on the invitation of, of Deborah. And she actually looked up the steps and started talking to a little girl that she said her name was Sally. Um, sightings came to the house multiple times between July 23rd, uh, 1994, and November 1994. They filmed all kinds of stuff. They even filmed with Barbara Connor. They filmed with Peter James. And uh, it was really interesting to, to see that. I, I saw it live all those years ago. And uh, by this time in 1994, they had, the Pickmans had moved out and this other family moved in. And Many people said that um, 
said that the fish family rented the house after the Pickmans. And it's undetermined how long they lived in the house, but they had a lot of activity with children and adults in the house. And they had um, a mysterious fire. And one of the things that Les Smith said, the owner, he says, when the family moved out, the owner, Les Smith, had to replace some major components of the house. The downstairs carpet, um, the majority of rungs in the stair railing, and the 220 electrical line, and the sink in the first floor bathroom. They apparently tore the house up. They had at least two puppies killed in the street while they lived there uh, because they didn't tie them up. Um, the children were never never looked clean, and they were never supervised. So there was some things going on, um, but it's hard to determine the level of paranormal activity during that time because of because of questionable living conditions. Um, between 1996 and 1999, so many people lived in the house that there's hard to keep track of that. But there was some lived there as little as two weeks, and some as long as three months. So that's a lot of people. In about uh, 1999 to 2003, a woman lived there as a renter, and it was reported by her daughter that there was some strange and frightening uh, non-physical activity in the house. But she is also, the one that lived there is also the one that they suspect was the person doing, doing witchcraft in the house or Satanism. It's not, not, nobody knows for sure. The, all the pictures of the pentagrams have disappeared. The only ones we have are the ones from the Robbie Thomas movie that were made to be protected as opposed to what the ones were before. So, he, and that picture was given to the guy who did the movie with Robbie Thomas and Les never wanted it back, is what I'm told. I don't know that for a fact. So... And then I will tell you there have been multiple psychics that have come to the house and some of them are really famous. Um, Christopher Moon and his mother Paulette Huff investigated the house many times. Amy Allen investigated the house in 2006, long before the Dead Files. No, she's never shared her experiences with anybody. Um, I've asked multiple times. Uh, in 2007, uh, January 19th through 22nd, of 2007 Sally House was filmed for the a show called Dark Hauntings it never aired there is a book based on this by Joe Sertone and I've talked to him personally and he said that that house ruined many people's lives it caused all kinds of problems and I'll go into that here in a minute but if you want to see that, read that book it's called The Sally House Exposing the Beast Within it's really it's an easy read um then after that, we had Robbie Thomas investigated the house in 2008, and he produced the Sally House movie, and the very beginning of that documentary is the botched appendectomy story, and he never says anything about there being a Sally in the house, because uh, my mom called him out on that. <laughs> so I thought that was really funny when she did that. And uh, since then, we've had... Ghost Adventures showed up there on October, September 29th through October 3rd, 2014, and that was really interesting. I got to be on that episode with, with them and take them on a tour. Yeah, my name's Eric Insbrenner. I'm with Atchison Paranormal. I'm the lead investigator and founder. You can contact us on Facebook, or you can email us at atchisonparanormal at gmail.com.
Now, but, as as far as as far as the history itself goes, huh? is there anything that that correlates with activity, like what might have happened at the house to what is going on right now? And you know, we've dug and we've dug and we've dug, and we, on my end, I can't find anything. If I'm with Ashton Paranormal, we have a researcher, a historian researcher, and she literally digs through death records and deeds and and scavenges through the you know through the history to find to find articles and we really can't find anything that would correlate with you know the house you know and obviously the Sally house has the Sally story where the doctor lived there late one night the girl came in and an uh, eight-year-old girl had to uh, you know her appendix burst and had to do a surgery and he started cutting on her before she was knocked out she died and now she's a Sally the Manhattan ghost only thing true about that story was a doctor did live there. He didn't practice, you know, practice there. He had an office at Fifth and Commercial in town. Uh, and the Finney, his doctor Finney, the Finney family did build that house and a couple others on that block. Um, and the, the, the stayed in the Finney home until Finney family until I think 1939, when Agnes Finney, which is a sister of the doctor, died in the home. But we can't find anything, you know bonkers or crazy about the house itself besides the fact that the doctor i mean the only thing i can find that's that's silly it's not even you know it's just that he was a figure skater and he used to win figure skating competitions and he got so good that he uh they banned him from figure skating so he would cross dress as a woman to, to cross this. yeah so <laughs> he would go under the name as miss baltimore colby or miss colby Bal- miss colby baltimore i think yeah so wow yeah, so I mean, you take that and you kind of got to think he's kind of a, and he was a small guy and he's kind of a, you know, maybe a centric kind of feller, but, you know, back in the day, people would go down to the hotel and write down who's staying the night there and put it in the paper. It was, it was such, you know, gossip back in the day. And, you know, we have no death records of a little girl dying there or anything that would, would be caused to the, I guess, evil entities that was supposed to reside there. Sure. That's really interesting stuff, though. Is it yeah. possible? Is it possible that people investigating the location could just possibly be bringing stuff with them? It's very possible. That's what I believe happens. I mean, if you look at groups that you know, different types of groups, they they investigate different ways. Some of them instigate. Some of them really instigate. Some of them, you know, just go in there. Knock once if you're here. Knock twice, you know, if you want me to go home. Type deal, real, right. real subtle, you know. And then they call out demons by their name. Now, and then they get crazy activity. Now I'm willing to bet you guys ten dollars. I'll go down to my creepy ass basement and start calling out some demon names on a Ouija board and see what I get. You know what I mean? Right. I mean that's just where I'm saying that, thinking of. But, but I, I think there, you know, the house. Or, it's built on a limestone foundation. There's a lot of limestone in the town, which, you know, limestone has been said to hold energy. And it's right next to the river. I mean, it's probably 100, maybe 125 yards away from the river, you know. So there you have, you know, you know energy conducting too. So, but yeah, and like I said, mediums who have been there or people who are sensitive said they sense a portal there that just allows, you know, different spirits to come through, you know, kind of like a gateway and stuff like that. Now, is it um, because obviously I haven't been there yet. Um, That's Uh definitely on my to do list, like 
this year. Um, huh? But um, is it the basement that is more or less like the hot spot of the house? Um, it's definitely the attractive component of the house. Now, you know, every basement that I've ever been to or, you know, has a spooky factor to it. You know, your grandma's little basement's always spooky. So any basement's always going to be spooky. This basement is just, you know, it, it's a small basement. There's a black scruffed up area where someone said that's a pentagram or someone had a pentagram there where they were practicing, you know, black magic and it's covered up there. There's a hole knocked out of the one wall where just basically the HVAC system runs through, but people get so infatuated with that hole in the wall, they get they spook themselves and all that stuff. Um, it is one of the attractive features. People, you know, they, they say something dark dwells down there. I can honestly say I've been down there I don't know how many times um, to prove it. Um, I sat down there. I didn't have any tools besides an EMF detector, and I had the DVR system going, and they had me on the you know the IR cam. I sat there for 45 minutes in a chair. It wasn't provoking. I wasn't, you know, I was saying if there's anybody here like to communicate with me, that kind of stuff like that. You know, I wasn't calling out any, anything by name. Um, I never once felt threatened or got the chills or anything like that. There's only one room where I feel it's upstairs. It's upstairs bedroom. It's not the nursery, but it's, I guess you call it the master bedroom. It's a bigger bedroom and it has a kind of a bigger walk-in closet. And that's where I feel really heavy. It's almost like, if you walked into a girl's bedroom that you weren't on the friend level with, I guess you could say, you know, and she's kind of like, what are you doing? You know, you yeah. can get your, your creeper type deal. So it feels real heavy. Like you're invading someone's space in that room. And that's room. That, that room is the one that I usually get most of my, um, you know, EVPs and, uh, uh, action, I guess you could say. They had a, my first, my first scratch. You know, I've never been there. I never got scratched. I've seen people lift their shirt up and see scratches and bruises and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But uh, I uh, was there. Uh, I can't think of the group. They're out of St. Joe, Missouri. They're really, really new. Um, the leader, the lead, the founder, he's been doing it for a while. His name's, uh, his name's Jeff Smith. But I uh, felt just like almost like if you put your hand next to your to your neck, like you can feel the, the warmth of your, your body heat. I didn't think anything of it really, and he did, and he looks at me while I'm talking to them in the kitchen. I'm actually talking about live sci-fi, that crew, and uh, we're kind of discussing their tactics and stuff like that, how they treat the house or the entities. And uh, he goes, "Did you touch your neck?" I said, "No, I don't think I did." And uh, they watched it kind of welt up. It wasn't three, but it was just you know a red mark and a, just one welt, and then it stuck around for about two or three hours, and then it was gone. Shit. Yeah. Definitely my first. And I was like, man, I was doing good. <laughs> so how long exactly have you been involved with uh, with the Sally House itself? The Sally House itself, uh, about three years. When was the about first time years, like, when was the first time you ever like truly investigated there? Um, truly investigated would have been two years ago, and I did an overnight investigation. Um, we had our, all of our stuff. We stayed, we stayed there from seven at, at PM till seven or till like 7 AM. And we didn't sleep at all. I didn't sleep at all. And it was a rather quiet night. I mean, it was, uh, uh, we had a uh, Denise Pridemore from Pridemore Paranormal there and her husband and myself. And then I had two guys that were 
in the group at the time. They're no longer in the group. They just kind of, when they could, type deal and never wanted to throw down when it came time to money type stuff. So, you know, <laughs> hey, can yeah. I borrow your sector type deal? But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, nothing really happened. I mean, we, you, we got some disembodied voices you could hear with your ears, but I'm so... I'm not a skeptic. I, I, I'll just say I'm a believer. I've had things happen to me that, that I can't explain, and no one's going to tell me that they didn't happen. But when I encounter stuff like voices, you know, I'm like, okay, let's not jump to paranormal. Let's, what was that? Could it be something else? Is there neighbors outside, you know, yada, yada, yada. But we had, you know, we heard some footsteps upstairs, just that I call it the usual, or, you know, basically the stuff you can usually find going on up there. Now, I will tell you, one that creeped me out. I literally had to sit down for like 15 minutes after this. I, uh, we kind of took a break. All lights were on. It's probably about two o'clock in the morning. And I go down to the downstairs bathroom. I don't know if you guys have ever been to the Sally house or not, but the, there's a small bathroom and it's just, it's like a makeshift bathroom. It's just a toilet and a small sink and it's very tight quarters. So I'm going to the bathroom. Going number one, my back's to the door. The door is open. And, uh, I think some, there's a, there's some people upstairs. Ron's in the kitchen. He's uh, next to the um, he's next to the sink. Ron starts tugging on my hoodie, and uh, I'm like, "Ha ha, Ron! Very funny." And I hear him say something like, "What do you mean?" I turn around, and I watch my hoodie being tugged on, and I'm like, "Oh shit!" And he's like, "What?" And I go, "No, no, no!" And he comes running. My junk's still out. He's like, put that away. I'm like, well, give me some time. I did make a mess. I did go back and clean it up. But I was like, I thought you were pulling on my hoodie. He's like, no, I wasn't. I said, well, no, I know that now. I was like, I just watched it. I literally watched something pull on my on the back of my hoodie. Holy shit! And like, yeah. So you know, it wasn't like you know we were investing. We were actually taking a break. So my mind was kind of not on this, thinking about it, and just kind of you know have my private moment, go in the bathroom, and then. To see that, I had to like it kind of wiped me off for like fifteen minutes. Like, oh my god, you know, I had to go sit down and kind of regroup a little bit. But we'll sit there with the flashlight. I try to do the, you know, get them to communicate with the flashlight, and we'll sit there for the longest time. And you know, people come in like if they're not investigators or someone off the street that just buys it, they expect that flashlight to, you know, turn on, turn off, you know, right there. Sometimes it won't turn on. It doesn't turn on for a while. And I've explained to them like, hey, you know, I mean, there's spirits you know i don't know what they do to make it turn on you know we have theories that they that their electromagnetic fields connect that that circuit and make the light come on but you know so i'll just go around the room like hey who who here's had a paranormal experience people start talking about their experiences as soon as we stop get off the subject of the sally house start talking about everybody else's experiences that light will just come on and then it's game time with okay thank you appreciate that you can turn it off and right off and then wow. we're usually can be able to communicate with them pretty good that's pretty impressive stuff, though. Yeah, it, it freaks people out. That I had a, I posted a video not too long ago from Periscope on the YouTube, and we, we were doing it in the Sally House. That was uh, Luke. He's the owner's son, the one that's trying to stir up more act. We're not activity in the house, but getting it right people to do the tours or whatever. But he's a skeptic. Oh, and really? The light turned on. Yeah, and that light turned on. You could see he was visibly shaking, and then you notice we were done he's like okay let's go home you know yeah. he was like trying to tell me that <laughs> i like to see how you did that i'm like well i wish i would have just brought it because i bought it i bought it the day before from walmart and i should have brought it with me and opened it there but <laughs> yeah. where do you uh you know i'm not i don't have a rig where i can just make it turn on yeah 
Has there been any nights that you've been there that nothing has happened? Yeah, I, uh, like I said, I think the energy field changes. Uh, one of the theories is that, you know, there's a few spirits there that dwell there, and there's a, and then they say there's a portal there that when you come in, there's spirits that attach to you can also come there. But I've told people, you know, like, I'll go there, whether it be during the day, during the night, and I'll unlock the door, and it'll feel so calm in there. Like, I'll go in there and goof off my phone, so I'll check Facebook, wait for someone to show up that I'm supposed to give a tour. Other times, I won't even, I'll just get at the door and be like, I'm just going to sit out here and wait a little bit, you know, you just get, you walk up to the door and you get that electricity on the back of your, or that static electricity on the back of your neck, and you're like, no, <laughs> well, I'll be chicken for a little bit, you know? Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> That's you know, okay. It's really hit or miss there. I've been there times where it's, like I said, you know, absolutely nothing's happened. Nothing. You know, maybe footsteps, but, you know, I try to play footsteps off because there's a lot of overhanging trees and, uh, you know, maybe a stick or an acorn fell off or something like that. It's a lively house, that's for sure. It's it won't disappoint. You know, if you show up and you're you're investigating, you know, it's 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 never disappointed. Hey, folks, this is David Glidden, founder of Four State Paranormal. You can reach us at www.fourstateparanormal.net. Awesome. So now tell us, like, lead us up through the story leading up to that EVP. Okay. Uh, when we finally got the uh, investigation at the Sally House, we drove about five hours to get there. And, um, uh, at the time, it was uh, Gene Keys, Tabby Dorsey, Mike Haney, and myself. Uh, Mike and I had set up an interview with the Pickmans, and Gene and Tabby, we left them there at the house to uh, unpack everything while we were gone. And um, we were at, we had actually just got there. Everybody was outside talking, except for Gene, who had carried a, a bag inside. And Gene, when he gets to an investigation he wears his recorder. His recorder is always around his neck. And he actually just walked into the Sally house, set down a bag and had opened it. And, uh, in the EVP that, that y'all have, you hear us talking in the background while Gene's going through the bag. And out of nowhere comes this female voice saying the basement. And then Okay. And then following that, you hear me coming into the house and uh, addressing Gene. Wow. And I obviously, you guys had no idea that this was going on. Yeah, we had we had no idea we captured it. Um, and what was really cool about that was this was the first time I'd ever been to the Sally House, and. Uh, at the, when we got there, you know, that's when we learned about the uh, pentagram being on the floor in the basement. Um, also, from the basement, it's said to be a portal in which spirits can come and go. And uh, the significance of the EVP uh, really stood out when we learned that and realized that it really tied in together. Was it 
after the investigation had concluded, you had already been home, that you found the EVP. Yeah, we had already we'd already gotten back and uh, we had gone over the evidence and uh, we were pretty excited when we when we caught that because, like I said, you know it's not very often. And you get a an EVP that really ties into a place. You you know usually it's you know a hello, uh, get out of there or get out of here or you know something to that effect. And for it to be specific to that place was really shocking. It's pretty insane. It's pretty good stuff though. Yeah. Now tell me about um you know, the buildup, you had, uh, booked this investigation at the Sally house. How much of the history did you know of the Sally house before even entering? Well, before we entered, uh, we'd done some, some, uh, digging on the, uh, Pickmans themselves. We, we watched the, uh, the old show that they were on. I can't remember what it was called now, like the unexplained or sightings or something like that. Um, watched the old show that they were on and it talked about, you know, them being scratched and uh, having this negative entity in the home with them. And, uh, you know, that really hooked us off the bat. We were like, that, we've never experienced anything like that, and we wanted to go experience it. Um, so, you know, we called up the uh, homeowner and set up the investigation. And, and I actually got the homeowner's number through the help of Deborah Pickman and, uh, Whenever I talked to Deborah, we set up a time for an interview as well. So we drove out to Atchison, and um, you know, as soon as we got there, we dropped off Gene and Tabby, and uh, we went to Tony and Deborah's home, and they invited us in. We we had a nice sit down, talked a lot about you know stuff that had happened in the house while they were living there, what had happened to them after uh, moving out, and uh, you know, asked them some of the uh, the more investigative questions, you know, like, uh, do you have any kind of religious background? What's your religion? You know, do you practice and this and that? And, uh, for the most part, they weren't really forthcoming with that part of their, uh, their answers. You know, it, it took them a few tries when they used to practice Catholicism from what she, what I remember her telling us, but, you know, they weren't like, uh, avid, followers and and then she let me know that she was practicing reiki and and all these other things and uh that's where it kind of hit me that maybe religion's going to have a part to play in our investigation of the sally house very nice now after that first investigation was was over and done with um you know, how did you how did you feel walking out of the place? Basically, were you were you convinced it was haunted, or were you a little more on the fence? Like, what were your thoughts? Okay. Well, you know, after after we had left and gotten home, you know, you you kind of take a moment to to think back about everything, what had transpired, you know, and we had we had quite a few things that happened that night during the investigation, um, but my overall feeling on the place was that there was something there. But my personal belief was that the Pikmins were kind of exploiting that. Um, if you want, I can kind of go through the night uh, throughout the investigation, what had happened, and, and kind of give you some insight about why I came to that 
conclusion. Yeah, that, that would be great. Yeah. Um, so we met with the Pikmins and, uh, we actually invited them to come along with us on the investigation and they did, they joined us at the house and, uh, you know, for some reason that when we got back, um, it's like something had changed in Gene. Uh, Gene, he was, he's the nicest guy you'd ever meet. I mean, this guy would, he wouldn't even yell at anybody, uh, but for some reason, when we got back, we went inside and Gene confronted me and Mike and he was absolutely pissed off. He was mad that we were gone for so long and uh, he was like pretty much to his boiling point. He was ready to leave the investigation and go back home. And we had just driven five hours to get there. Um, we knew this wasn't like Gene. And uh, we also noticed that there was a look to him. Um, it's hard to describe. It's, it wasn't like, you know, his face had morphed or anything, but, uh, you could see something was affecting him. And we, we took him outside to talk to him in private and, uh, we got him away from the house and we were out on the road talking. And, um, while we're talking to him, it's like, he started calming down and was like coming to a realization that why there was no reason to be pissed. He was sitting there telling us, you know, I don't even know why I was really mad at you guys, but for some reason I was just absolutely pissed and I had no reason to be. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of took that as a, a first sign of, uh, you know, something could influence somebody there at the house. Um, we went through, set up the equipment and everything. After the equipment was set up, for some reason we had all the lights on. I don't even know why. That's not even that. Was, that's not even our protocol. Um, we had the lights on, and uh, I was walking around snapping pictures. I was getting a before and after picture of like some of the toys that were left upstairs. You know, putting them in position, taking a picture, leaving them there, and then at the end of the night, I'd go back take pictures to see if anything had changed or moved. Um, <clears throat> I'd walked upstairs to the second floor. And walked into, air quotes, Sally's room and was taking pictures. And I was looking away so I didn't blind myself with the flash because we get in flash wars and that just sucks. Um, so I take this picture of these blocks. And as I take the picture, I looked away and the flash went off. And in the window I was looking at, I saw this image of a little girl standing right next to me. And it caught me off guard, and I, I, I said to myself, oh, shit, <laughs> you know, I, I just, did I just see that? So I snapped another picture, and I, I started walking downstairs, and I get to the bottom of the stairs, and Mike was watching the monitors. He's like, David, go back up in that room. I thought I saw something when you were taking pictures. So I didn't say anything. I just kind of shook my head, and I just kind of trolled back upstairs and snapped a few more pictures and came back down and... uh I asked him if he'd seen anything again, and he said no. And I didn't say anything to anybody for a while there because I wasn't sure of what I had seen. Um, as the night went on, I, I want to reiterate, you know, our procedure, we have a procedure that we usually follow. And for whatever reason, this night, we didn't follow it. We weren't even aware that we weren't even following it. 
Um, again, that's one of those things you look back on. And you're like, huh, why didn't I do this? Or why did we do this? Um, and I, I, I kind of have an explanation further on. Um, as the night progressed, a situation had come up. Uh, everybody was sitting on there in the living room, except for Deborah. She went to the bathroom and, uh, Mike and I, we were in the kitchen talking, Gene, Tony Pickman, and, uh, another guest that was a friend of the Pickmans had, had showed up and Tabby were in the living room and something had made a noise. We all heard this noise and Deborah said she thought it came from upstairs and everybody else, you know, in, in psychology, if somebody suggests something, people tend to follow, you know, everybody else kind of concurred, you know, it sounded like it, it was muffled, but it came up from upstairs or in that vicinity of the staircase. So Mike and I, we went upstairs to check it out. And, uh, you know, the whole night, Deborah wouldn't let Tony go upstairs. He did not even want to go upstairs for that fact. And uh, as soon as Mike and I went upstairs, Tony decided he wanted to go upstairs, which was weird. But the weirdest part was um, as he was going upstairs, he walked by Deborah and she noticed that his hand was scratched and bleeding. So they called Mike and I downstairs, and uh, we looked at it, took some pictures and stuff like that. Um, fortunately for us, we had one of our DVR cameras facing that direction, um, and a situation was uh, discovered uh, as the night progressed. Gene took us aside and told us some stuff. So apparently, um, Gene had heard... Tony give uh, Deborah a pst kind of sound. And uh, in the video, Deborah looks back at him and she makes this, uh, this motion or this signal, uh, I guess, patting her pocket, you know, like to put your hands in your pocket kind of thing. And uh, Gene watched Tony put his hands in his pocket. And he said uh, about a minute later, he heard something break. Um. It was maybe 30 seconds after that, Tony got up to go upstairs. And uh, as he was walking by Deborah, he, in the video, you can see him raise his right hand across his body. His right hand was the one that was scratched. Huh. Uh, she wouldn't have noticed this if he didn't raise that hand up. And as he's passing her, he raises his hand up, and then she you know, notices, tells him, hang on a second, come here, you're scratched, and all this, you know. Um, and of course Mike and I come downstairs after they radioed us to come downstairs. <clears throat> now we discovered what the noise was and we thought it was kind of odd that, that it wasn't recognized. Um, what had happened was Deborah's cell phone went off and she had a ringtone for her kids. And, uh, that was what everybody had heard. That was the sound was her ringtone for her children. Huh. Now, if you're a parent, if you've got kids, if your kids have a special ringtone, you're going to know that ringtone. You know, if your kids are trying to get a hold of you for whatever reason, you're going to know that's them calling. But she acted like she had no idea what that sound was. Huh. Um, 
and that's that was kind of a big you know i don't know if i want to call it a kick in the pants but yeah, yeah. Uh, you it know <laughs> it was it was something that uh we were kind of proud of that we we captured you know this moment on our dvr cameras and and some of our audio recorders well yeah and then i mean it gave you the uh, the but freedom we kind of, to call bullshit you know yeah and but we we were kind of disappointed in the fact that we got taken at that moment sure uh, but uh the night progressed um later that night mike was talking to gene in the kitchen and behind Gene, Mike was able to see a black mass start forming. And he didn't say anything to Gene. He just kept kind of looking at it. And he grabbed Gene by the shoulders and he said he moved him off to the side just in case, you know. And uh, this mass ended up uh, dissipating and disappearing. Um, but nothing else had happened that night after that. And we went home. We went through all the evidence and we, we found what we found. But Tabby... She was a uh, uh, she's a Wiccan, and we had her do some research on some of the drawings that we had found that were supposedly of the pentagram that was on the floor, and uh, what she came up with, or well, what they told us originally was that somebody had drawn the pentagram as a an entrapment spell to trap a spirit in. Well, what Tabby had discovered was that the pentagram had the same symbols for, uh, I can't remember the spirit's name, but it was a release spell for a particular spirit. And it was supposedly the spirit of misguidance. Oh, wow. And when she, and when she told us, uh, that it was the spirit of misguidance, it kind of rung a bell in me because I was thinking back to the investigation, why we didn't follow protocol. We had all the lights on. We, we weren't, you know, being quiet necessarily. We weren't, you know, working in teams. We weren't, we weren't following protocol. And I think, you know, we were being misguided throughout the whole investigation. Wow. So it's, it's weird and, uh, too, because I mean, would you, would you be comfortable in saying, yeah, it's, it's haunted and it's not haunted all at the same time. Um, I, I will be more comfortable saying the Sally house is haunted, but, it is being played up by particular people. Sure. Um, I, and I, and like I said, I think it's being exploited by certain people. And as far as I know, there's been, you know, the, uh, the Heartland ghost made for TV movie about that. There oh, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, I, I believe Deborah Pickman was writing a book about it. You know, I mean, there's, there's money to be made there yeah. as well as all the TV and radio show, uh, appearances. Um, but I do believe that there it's just being exploited in a sense of, uh, somebody's making money off of it. Somebody's profiteering off of it. Sure. Um, but I do legitimately believe it's haunted. In fact, we just did a, uh, we filmed an episode of haunting history out there, uh, this year. Um, I'm not, I can't go into details about, you know, things that happened on that investigation, but you know, the whole time I was, I was on guard because I was expecting, for the worst. I was preparing for the worst. Um, another incident that happened that I forgot to, to mention was uh, at one point in the night, Mike and Tabby were sitting in opposite corners of the room downstairs in the living room, and they both started getting sick. Started have they were having the same symptoms, and we took them outside, and they felt fine. 
So uh, that's interesting. I think I think there's something there that can physically uh, connect with people. The place that could I consider it a dangerous place to go to, but you know, I mean, I, I kind of live for that stuff. <laughs> you know, it's it's not that I'm addicted to the place, but I, I just I would like to have that. Um, I don't want to call it, it. I don't want to say it's exciting, but I, I don't want to, you know, downplay it either. I, I want to have that kind of experience where you have these amazing things happen. Um, I want to have them physically happen, if that makes sense. That makes total sense. I, I yeah, I just don't want to go to like another place and you know catch an EVP here and then go home and that's it. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> I want something. I want something badass to happen there. <laughs> All right. Well, my name is Richard Rose. I am uh, currently a field producer for Nine Diamond Productions uh, with Strange Curiosity. Right, playing. Um, people can find my stuff on YouTube. Uh, search Paranormal Warnings, or you can also look up Troubled Crew Productions. And the same thing goes for. Facebook, if you look facebook.com slash paranormal warnings and facebook.com slash troubled crew productions, that's everything that is Rick. Can you get into um, some of your experiences? Basically, like um, even like the first time you went to the Sally House, the first experience you ever had uh, at the Sally House, and kind of walk us through that. Well, the first time that I ever stepped into the Sally House was actually uh, just over a year ago. It's been 367 days. So uh, Friday was my one-year anniversary. We were actually inside Sally House for the first time on Good Friday of 2015. And we entered with my team. Uh, it was me and my team member, Cher, at the time. And then uh, Steve Hayes from Dust to Dawn at the time, but he's now Pararescue. And uh, Mitch was Cher's uh, nephew, was with us. And then Denise and Ron Pridemore was our tour guides at that time. And uh, we stepped foot in. And to tell you the truth, um, I know a lot of people, when they say Sally House, are like, oh, my God, it's demonic. And it's you're going to be attacked. And it's going to follow you home. Uh, for the first four and a half hours-ish, not one thing happened. Um, we were actually sitting there making jokes that we could actually move into this house because there was nothing going on. Uh, no creaks, no nothing. And so we kind of just hung out for a while. And I think we started right about eight o'clock is when we started live streaming on Ustream. And we started up inside Sally's room and made a little bit of contact with uh, the spirit named Paul, which is the little boy that roams around there. Um, we spoke to him. He was attached to Mitch for some reason. I, I don't know why, but, uh, there was really nothing going on. And, uh, we kind of conversed with Paul, got a couple of EVPs, a couple of responses through the spirit box. Um, and I think we got a REM pod hit a few times, but other than that, that was just how the night started. And we're just like, okay, it's going to be one of those nights. And, uh, Anybody that's been inside Sally House, there, there's hot nights and then there's very, very cold nights. You could be in there where stuff's just happening all around you. But then 95% of the time, you're in there, there's nothing happening. 
Um, and I, I say that because I've been in there all the times from uh, last year throughout this whole year. I was in there almost every weekend uh, from November all the way up until the day I left because I went from just visiting it to actually becoming a tour guide for Sally House. And so I slept in that place overnight by myself. Um, they would just give me the keys and say, go have at it. But uh, so it was it was kind of it was a dead night starting out. Um, and then we got downstairs and I, I played the uh, Lord's Prayer in Latin. And I was actually standing right in the middle of the pentagram while we were playing it. And I had it blaring. Um, and that kind of that kind of enticed whatever it was down there to come out. Um, and he started verbally threatening us. Um, I think if I remember correctly, there were two scratches that night. Um, but other than that, I mean, we had a lot of verbal attacks. Um, my sensitive was being, she said she was being attacked by the, the entity. Um, I know there was a couple times where I would say something like, you're not strong enough to overtake us. We have God on our side. And when I finished that, Cher would be behind me, and she let out this menacing laugh that I knew wasn't her. Um, and at one point, when she actually let that laugh out, I turned around. And when I looked at her eyes, her eyes were actually turning black on us. Uh, um, and she was just sitting there. And I, I'm i not even over-exaggerating this. She was shaking. like Her whole body was shaking like it was negative 40 degrees down there. And I mean, she's just the, she had her dowsing rods in her hand and that's all you hear is clink, 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 clink. Cause she is just shaking and she's repeating over and over. This is not me. This is not me. It's not me. And I'm freaking out at that moment. Cause I've never seen her act like that. Um, and then he started saying he was gonna, uh, he was gonna destroy us and he was going to cut us all up. And he kept saying, you're going to need the holy water. Um, so we ended up ending that session and going back upstairs and taking a break, um, which led to us actually going back upstairs and making contact with Paul through the, the run pod stuff. But it wasn't until we went back downstairs into the basement for our second session that it really took off um, with, uh, with him like verbally attacking us again and just threatening us. And then all of a sudden, Char- uh, Cher started acting different Again, so I, I started telling him because I think at this point, Denise and Ron had left. So it was just me and my team. And I felt like at that moment I could be myself. So I started going after him. Um, and I, I kept telling I told him like three or four times, you better back the hell up. You better back the hell up. And after about the fourth time I told him that, I picked up the holy water that we had just gotten in the mail uh, from one of Cher's friends that she had just finished a trip from the Vatican. So we had holy water from the Vatican, like the actual Vatican. I picked that up and I hit that uh, the, the hole in the wall like three times with some with some holy water, and then Cher went around and ble- uh, blessed every single wall in that basement, and uh, he he left. He was gone. Like the whole atmosphere of that house changed, and it was like everything was lifted, and it just felt real different. So um, after that happened, I mean, it just it died off again, and it was done. Wow. So that was like my first encounter. With the uh, the house, uh, some of the stuff I wanted to tell you, some of the stuff that we did notice while we were investigating, and I, I should have kept it in the video when we were debunking a lot of these teams, because you got these people that go in there, and like the knocking, the knocking noise, I can guarantee you, ninety nine percent of the time, it's the uh, the 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 duck fence 
that are right there. They're expanding and then uh, and doing all that. So when a lot of people hear the knocking noises, it's I automatically think it's the defense just doing their thing. Um, I've also seen teams down there doing EVP sessions right next to the furnace while it's running and claiming that the furnace noises are EVPs. So you got to watch what people are doing in there because you can manipulate stuff inside a house. And if, if they're not 100% honest, um, they can dupe you, and they can dupe you really, really good. That's really interesting stuff, brother. It's like fucking. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's really freaking crazy. Because um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you. Uh, I'll put it out right here, right now. Sally does not exist. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care if a psychic is in here saying it. Because you know what? I tell you what. If a psychic's in there, and she's the only one that's seeing that 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 Sally, I'm I'm gonna I'm I'm calling her a fraud right now. Anyone, because um, what it is is if there is something evil in there. They are taking form of a child. There is no Sally spirit inside that house whatsoever. Now there's a Paul, but I I genuinely believe that there is not one Sally spirit in there. And I don't know if they explained to you how the Sally, how it got its name and all that, but I was going to ask you a little bit, um, you know, your take on the history, basically. From what I understand, it was a normal house from like 1867 all the way up until the Pickmans moved in. Um, they had, I, th- I think it was four natural deaths inside the house. Um, and don't quote me on that cause I could be wrong, but, uh, four natural deaths. There were a couple of funerals that happened inside the place. But, um, other than that, there wasn't, I mean, it was just a normal house that the guy lived in. Um, the, uh, Dr. Finney, he was an odd character. He liked to cross dress and roller skate or ice skate. One of those two. But other than that, he was just a normal doctor that lived inside the house, built that whole place by himself. And they kind of lived there as a family. So I don't know what brought on the haunting, but we can discuss that a little bit later. Um, I have never personally met the Pickens, but here's my little issue. And I'll, I'll put it out. There. I don't care. Um, why adventures bring a medium in if Tony Pickman runs around claiming to be a medium? Good point. It's a very good point. I mean, why? This, this guy supposedly, because I'll tell you, uh, there's people out there that knew him that told me stuff uh, that Tony Pickman can find out any spirit's name because they'll scratch it in his arm and. They'll do this and that. If you see the photos, he's got names scratched into his chest and and all this stuff. So why why do they feel the need to bring another medium in if he's a medium? Yeah, that's a very good point. That's that's the question I've posed to everybody. I mean, is he really a medium? I don't well, know. Yeah. I've never personally met them, but like I said, I, I I had firsthand accounts with people that say that if you go under provoking, the Pikmins are going to be attacked inside their house when they don't even live near it. Um, but it's just one of those things that I, when I seen the Ghost Adventures episode, that's the first thing I thought was, why they bring number one, why are they bringing this young girl in when he claims to be a medium? Or did he not tell them that because he didn't want to be exposed nationally? Uh, and number two, 
you're going to bring a medium in. I mean, you got anybody inside the paranormal field. If you say Sally House, people know what you're talking about. I mean, it's not like these low-name places that nobody really goes to. Sally House has been around for years. Yeah. So if you're inside the paranormal field, you know the name. So when they say they bring her in and she has no prior knowledge of this, bullshit. Sorry for my language, but... <laughs> no, it's good, man. We're that's explicit. I, no worries. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's uh, what I said when they first said it on the TV. I was like, bullshit. So... Now, speaking of that, though, like, as far as, you know, the Ghost Adventures uh, episode or anything like that, how, you know, in, in your opinion or whatever, how good of a job did they do? Mm, you know, they left out a lot of stuff. Um, even their Aftershocks episode. I mean, yeah, everybody's going to focus on the Pikmins, but the Pikmins only lived there for like a year and a half. There's... <laughs> The, the whole year that I had to do with Sally House, I think I was in there more times than they were. So, because <laughs> they didn't constantly live in the house. They were gone. They were back and forth. Um, so, for them to fully focus on those people, uh, I thought they missed a lot. Because there's people all around Atchison, all around Kansas, that has had experiences inside that house. That they could have gotten more information from. Um now, they did good with Denise, I mean, with her showing the place around. But there was just, they missed, they missed some stuff. And it, it's hindsight. Hindsight's twenty twenty. I mean, I seen the episode, I'm like, oh, you guys could have done this. But, no, they, they should have ventured out a little bit more. I, I can, I'll be honest with you, that first night that I was in there was the, the really extreme night. Um, I'd had nights where I felt bad because of the paying people didn't really experience anything um so oh yeah that reminds me I'll, and i'll ask you and i remember when you talked about or with us about throwing that holy water in that quote-unquote portal that you were a little worried because after that the, the activity went away for a while and other groups weren't finding anything you were afraid that you <laughs> you you got rid of whatever was in, in there yeah and you know i mean at first, because I, I think in the video, too, you can hear us all laughing and uh, share saying that the Sally House was going to sue me now because I, I chased him away. Um, but honest truth, when it, when it comes to my team members, I don't care where I'm at, safety comes first. And I, I politely asked that SOB to back off three or four times. And you know what? If you're not going to cooperate with me, <laughs> I'm sorry, but I got to take control. And I have to do any means necessary to make sure my team's safe. And that was the first thing that popped into my mind was hit that hole with holy water. Now I have my different theories on that hole, but all I know is that people say that's where it comes from. That's where the quote unquote portal is. So that's where I threw the water. Now for somebody, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Um, but for somebody that hasn't been in there, what does this hole look like, and how deep is it? What do you think it might have originally been there for? Well, it was uh, it was originally it, there wasn't a hole there for a while. They knocked it out for something. I cannot remember what it was, but there's uh, a hose running from the. It's a drainage. It's just weird. Okay, I'm, I'm not. I'm no physics major or anything or anything like that. But the hose starts at the floor. And it's supposed to be a drainage for the furnace, but it goes up. 
I've never seen water that travels up like that when it's supposed to be a drainage. So uh, it kind of defeats the purpose. But inside the hole, it probably goes, I don't know, I would say eight feet back, probably by 10 feet wide, if that. Uh, and it's dirt. That's all it is. Nothing but dirt. And these people that throw these videos up saying, oh, I caught an orb. I caught an orb inside the hole. You're, you're catching dirt. Sorry. Um, and then people say that they, they catch like the, the orbs going to the right and then shooting up or down. Uh, you're, you're catching just wind patterns. There's a hole in there somewhere. I, I can feel the draft when I'm down there. And that's all you're catching is, <laughs> is stirring up the dust. And it's just following the, the path where the wind's going. So, I mean, I don't believe anything to do with orbs down there in that basement because it's dusty and it's moldy. So, even if somebody passes out down there, there's there's strands of black mold down there. Stuff that they can't even identify from what I heard. It's that bad. So. How, uh, you know, and, and honestly, you know, you've been doing this a while. Um, you know, investigating and things of that nature. Now, in your opinion, like how um, how active is the Sally House? I mean, you know, on a scale of you know the most haunted place you've ever been in, or you know, or or what? What would you consider it? A three out of ten. Yeah. Do you think it's worth the money to put up for a night in there? Now that's where I, where it gets tricky. If you catch it on an active night, yes. If you catch it on a dead night, no. Now, you're rolling the dice. Because I can almost guarantee you that probably one night out of the week, it'll be active. So, which one are you going to pick? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. It's just, it's, it's, it's a crapshoot with that place. And I think and it's... that's what's kind of, it's, it's made me wonder about it sometimes. I think is it's residual? I think it is. You, that's a, that was my next question then. Okay, yeah. Do you think the majority of the hauntings there would be, you know, what we would consider residual hauntings? I would, yeah, I would say 75 to 80% of it's residual. And that's why you only catch it certain times. Uh, now, I have gotten intelligent responses from uh, Paul, but I it's not that often. So you're, more of the times you're just sitting there talking to a wall. What, uh, as far as, uh, you know, the spirit, Paul, um, what is, uh, his age and maybe even what's his purpose of, of being there? You know what I mean? We think, see, I think he was 14 to 15 years old, but he had some kind of mental disease that gave him the mentality of like a seven to eight year old. So anytime I've asked him how old he was and he, he said eight. Because um, he still thought he was an eight-year-old. Now, from what I have heard, he was the caretaker's son, and he just loved that house. And to be honest with you, I mean, if I'm a spirit, and I want to go back to where people are going to pay attention to me, and that's what they do there. They pay attention to him, so he'll stay there. That's perfect. He's bro. told me he loves it there. So, and it's just like uh, Edna, I think her name is, um, the the lady, the older lady. She. Uh, that's why she's there. She just loves visitors. But I have never once had a run-in with her or Dr. Finney. So. So there you have it, guys. Um, Jason, my friend, what did you think? What did you think of the episode? For me, it 
makes me even more intrigued about the place. I've never been there. I haven't been there either. Um, yeah, it's always been on the bucket list of things to do. That's for sure. Um, Though I do have to say that I don't know if I feel like I would want to pay for it, honestly. Yeah. I mean, it does sound like it's kind of hit or miss at times, you know, um, which I guess is any any real place that you're going to investigate is going to be hit or miss. But yeah. at the same time, it's like trying to lock down the history on a place like that. Yeah. You know, um, it sounds well, like back I, in the day when they did those those uh, TV shows or whatever, like sightings and those things uh, that they were talking about, they kind of took the story and just kind of ran with it and, you know, created this idea of, you know, Sally, the ghost. Yeah, I remember the, you know, the episodes. Did you see it? Our show when yeah. I was a kid of. Sure. You know, every year you'd at least see one with the Sally house on it. Yep. Um, but I, another reason, partially me, why I wouldn't necessarily pay for myself to go yeah. is because I like to hit places that no, either nobody's gone to or not very many people have gone to. And that sure. place has got a lot of people. Oh, absolutely. Everybody has been there now. Except much. for us. Except for us. Except for us. Yeah, right. that's true. <laughs> Cause we, no, but I, I, I'd go investigated. Of course I would totally go investigate. Um, Maybe that'll happen someday. I think it will. I think, honestly, I think sooner than later, we will be there. Um, We will investigate that beast together. Holding hands. No. Damn it. All right. <laughs> Whatever. So, anyway. I like how you tried to sneak that in there, though. Yeah, yeah. I got to do what I got to do. So, hopefully, you guys enjoyed this first episode of the premium content like we said we have a lot more ideas coming um our idea was kind of to to take this idea interview some people um that have the knowledge have the experiences to back it up and then make kind of an audio documentary that's kind of our goal with all of this because it's also something that isn't really done ever like an audio documentary which I mean, I'm a documentary filmmaker, um, so that's kind of my gig. But to do it in an audio format is something entirely different to me. So I'm learning as I go here, okay? <laughs> so hopefully you enjoyed this enough to uh, to give us another chance on another episode as well. So. so, yeah, we will talk to you guys on the next episode of the Ectoplasm Show. Keep tuning in, tell your friends, and we will talk to you all soon. Peace out. Peace <laughs> out.